What's up, everybody? It's your girl, the Biblio Geek. How y'all doing? Y'all good? Y'all out here doing the thing? Y'all know me, I'm just out here trying to put some paint where it ain't. Out here spreading rainbows and love and freaking light rays shooting out of my eyes like pew, pew, pew. Anyway, today's show is dedicated to 2019. We're going to talk about the highs, the lows, the wins, the losses, the lessons learned, and the things we wish we could forget. Y'all ready? Let's go. Two thousand and nineteen, you old slew-footed, pox-ridden, sway-backed scallywag, you. It was something, right? You know, the most common theme I've been seeing in my social media is one of relief that 2019 is over. I mean, I get it. I've had some years like that. 1996 and 2016 come to mind. I mean, 1996 basically tried to kill me so that year could just get flush down an enormous cosmic commode and drift off to a sea full of corrosive shark feces, far as I'm concerned. As for 2016, I mean, except for two things that were awesome, that entire year was a never-ending supply of lose. And that year can just dissolve off every calendar, in my opinion. No, really. Y'all remember how bad 2016 was? I mean... But like October, perfect strangers were walking up to me like, can you believe this foolishness? But as for 2019, personally, it was a good year for me, mostly because I had some pretty significant revelations and made some changes in my life that I thought I didn't have the strength to change. Thanks to a really good friend of mine, I lost weight, which is huge because I had a serious health scare in 2018, which was largely because of my weight. So shout out to Nicole. You are the MVP. And I left an incredibly toxic work environment for the sake of my own inner peace. And children, that whole situation is a podcast all by itself. But at any rate, I started a new job at a place that does amazing work in my community and around the world. And now I sleep like a baby at night. Uh, In 2019, I got a chance to go on a trip with my girls who are like my sisters. And I didn't really know How much I needed that trip and how much I needed them until I saw their faces and got a chance to just be around them and be myself. I also got a chance to visit family and I had a blast. But 2019 was not without its own darkness. I lost a couple of good friends and family this year. Some were expected, others not so much. There were also a few times when my belief in humanity was challenged like a mug and my hatred of just about everything and everyone was strengthened. But that's for later. At any rate, I read some good books along the way. So let's start with that, shall we? a recap of the 10 best books I read in 2019. These are in no particular order, by the way, and keep in mind that even though I read all of these in 2019, some of these were not published in 2019. So here we go. Number one on my list of best books I read in 2019 is We Cast a Shadow by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. This book centers on an unnamed black male protagonist, 
He is married to a white woman named Penny. This is important. And an 11, they, he has an 11 year old son named Nigel. Now he and his wife have a solid, playful relationship. Really like their back and forth is oftentimes hilarious in this book. I actually loved it. He loves his son and would do anything to protect him. But here's the problem. His son, who is light skinned, has a dark birthmark on his face, which appears to grow throughout the book and become darker. The father is obsessed with this birthmark and has convinced himself that eventually it will turn his son into a dark skinned boy and diminish his chances of being successful in a racist society. So the father hatches this plan to get it removed. But honey, what he does and what he sacrifices it all just spirals out of control. It's humorous and horrific, and it's just an amazing book. Next up, uh, what we have here is She Would Be King by Wayetu Moore. You know, I love a good historical fiction. I also love a good superhero story. This book combines the two and sets it uh, during the time of the country of Liberia's formation. She Would Be King focuses on three main characters in three locations. There's Lai, a young girl in a village in West Africa who is gifted with the ability to heal and regenerate. There is June Day, a black male slave in Virginia who is gifted with superhuman strength. Finally, there's Norman Aragon, a mixed race slave in Jamaica who can become invisible. Moore eventually brings the three of them together, but each character's individual journey is written in sharp detail, and each one of them ends up having a role in the formation of Liberia. But at times, this book frustrated me and sent me to air fighting. I mean, look, if you have superpowers, why do you keep getting your ass kicked? I mean, like, literally, <laughs> these three characters, like, they just couldn't win. But, you know, I mean, they did every now and then, but it was like... I, I just, that frustrated me. But anyway, it was a great read. Next, uh, Washington Black by Essie Adugian. Let me start off by saying that Essie is an amazing writer. I am a fan. And she often uses like a needlepoint precision when retelling historic events. Uh, I love historical fiction, like I said before. And I'm a fan of Essie's other book, Half-Blood Blues. Now, Washington Black was published in 2018, so this is one of those books I was telling you about before, but I didn't get a chance to read it until 2019. It's It sat on my shelf, and frankly, what happened was I forgot it was there. It just kind of blended in with the other books on my shelf. That's what happens when you become a book hoarder like me. Yeah, so anyway. Um, but anyway, I read it in 2019, so it counts. This book is about the story of George Washington Black, or Wash, a 12-year-old slave on a brutal sugar plantation in Barbados. Early in the novel, he meets the slave master's brother, a scientist slash inventor called Titch, who has created a floating hot air balloon contraption with the unfortunate name of Cloud Cutter. Long story short, Titch wants to take the Cloud Cutter on its first voyage, and he convinces the slave master to let Wash go with him. His reasoning, he needs an assistant that can help him navigate the balloon while he does sciencey stuff. Someone, mind you, who won't weigh the balloon down. Of course, a malnourished prepubescent slave would be perfect. So Titch and Wash set out in this balloon thing and thus starts the beginning of an adventure that takes Wash all over the world. 
This is not a lighthearted novel by any means. In fact, this book doesn't shy away from the brutality of slavery nor the um, abuse of racism, but that's the beauty of Edugian's writing. She is a powerful storyteller and somehow manages to fix your eyes on a scene and make you just stay there no matter how uncomfortable it gets. So great book. Next on the list. Uh, first of all, I have to thank my girl Davina for introducing this book into my life. It's entitled On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous, and it's written by a poet named Ocean Vong. You guys, this book, oh my God, it just, it broke my heart into tiny pieces, melted them down and made a necklace out of my heart pieces and then gave it back to me in a really pretty box, velvet box. It just, oh my God, I love this book so much. Um, this book, On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous, is a letter from a son to his mother the son who is called little dog in Vietnamese this is a term given to him for protection he is a Vietnamese American his mother is a survivor of the Vietnam War and she struggles with the symptoms of PTSD some of which are often manifested through violent acts towards her son this book slash letter is more than just a commentary on the after effects of war. It probes into issues of race and class and sexuality and the mother-son dynamic. This book was lyrical, it was brutal, it was honest, and it was so beautifully written. I really, really hope you guys get a chance to read this. All right, coming up next, we have Obedience by Will Lavender. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the former educator in me, but I live for a good mystery set on a college campus. And this is that. Um, Obedience is about a logic and reasoning class at Winchester University. And the professor, Professor Williams, tells the class on the first day that they have only one, one assignment for the entire semester. And that is to find a missing hypothetical girl named Polly. So a handful of students get together like in a study group and make a plan to find this girl, even though they're all like, what the hell kind of professor is this and what kind of class is this? Anyway, as the semester rolls on, the students gradually come across some disturbing clues and developments that make them second guess their professor's motive and start to think that maybe this poly girl isn't a hypothetical at all and something awful has happened to her. Now, if you're like me and you like to figure out a good mystery, I think you'll like this one. All right, next one. <laughs> I have a, a love-hate relationship with this book, but I'm going to put it on here anyway. It's My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite. Now, I am putting this one on the list even though it sent me into air fighting episodes that lasted for several minutes. Here's the plot, okay? In bold strokes. This is a story about two sisters. One who is a beautiful psychopath who kills all the guys she dates. And the other is her plain, dumpy, incredibly smart sister who breaks her neck to protect her psychopath killer sister and cover up her tracks to keep her from getting arrested. I mean, seriously, <laughs> this sister, it's just... It, it was ridiculous at times, but it was a good read. It managed to, even through all the ridiculousness, to hold my attention. So, y'all go ahead. All right, next. 
Damon Young's What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger made the cut in 2019. This is the only nonfiction entry included in this list for, for that year, okay? But it's really good. I've been a fan of Damon since very smart the Very Smart Brothers website, so it was a given that I would read this. It did not disappoint y'all, okay? This is basically a collection of essays covering a variety of topics ranging from the Me Too movement to Make America Great Again. And as usual, there are so many quotables. And I literally laughed out loud and shook my head as I read it. Highly recommended, but he curses a lot, so be warned. All right, the number eight slot belongs to Chigozi Obioma's An Orchestra of Minorities. Okay, I love this one because there is an African divine element here. So Orchestra of Minorities is about a humble, hardworking poultry farmer named Chinonso, or Nonso for short, whose life is changed when he stops a woman named Ndali from taking her own life. The two fall in love, but Ndali is wealthy and her family is basically not here for Nonso and his chickens and whatnot. So Nonso is desperate for her love and he also is uneducated, which makes for a delicious blend of chaos and bad luck as Nonso makes one bad choice after another, trying to change his circumstances so he can win the woman he loves. Now, what I particularly loved about this book is that it's narrated by Nonso's guardian spirit, who at the opening of the novel is testifying before a, a divine tribunal on Nonso's behalf. Throughout the novel, the spirit or chi defends Nonso throughout his many mistakes and bad decisions. I have to tell you, as frustrating as Nonso's character was, I really love this book. I think you will too. All right. Uh, number nine. This one belongs to Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Now, I am a huge fan of fantasy books, especially those that feature people of color, okay? Gods of Jade and Shadow is a fantasy based on Mayan folklore slash religion and set in Mexico in the 1920s. It's kind of like, and this is, excuse me, y'all, I know this sounds terrible, but this is basically the only way I can really describe it. It's like if Harry Potter married Cinderella and got her pregnant while on vacation in Cancun and they had a baby. It would be this book. Uh, I'll explain. I'll explain. Okay, so this book is about a young girl named Cassiopeia Toon, who, due to unfortunate events, had to move in with her wealthy grandfather. Now, the grandfather and everyone else in the house treat her like she got a tail, and she spends her days daydreaming about getting out from under that oppressive living situation. But one day, while cleaning the house, she comes across this huge trunk in her grandfather's room. Curiosity gets the best of her. She opens the trunk and discovers a body part, which she finds out later belongs to the Mayan god of death. Dig that. A dude named Hun Kame, which I mean, sounds terrifying. But this is just the start of an adventure as Cassiopeia becomes bonded with the death god and he pulls her right into the middle of a centuries long beef between him and his twin brother Vukub Kame, who stole the death throne from... Hunkame, and the rest of the book is Cassiopeia running around in them streets, dodging danger and dealing with them Kame boys and all their drama. Final thought. 
Books like this are important, especially for young readers of color. Not only is it important to have representation in lead characters, but plot lines also need to be culturally relevant for all cultures. Through this, we learn about other paths of spirit, spirituality, and we see the similarities to our own, and it's awesome. So highly recommend it. All right, we're at the last slot, number 10, and we are at a book called The Black Card or Black Card. No, the, just Black Card by Chris Terry. This book is about a young biracial unnamed narrator. There's a lot of unnamed narrators in this list. But anyway, a young biracial unnamed narrator who skateboards, plays bass in a punk band and often unwillingly passes for white. Now, I know that amongst us blacks, there is a running joke about a black card and a running list of infringements that could get one's hypothetical card taken. But in this book, the black card is an actual thing. And the narrator has his taken by a character named Lucius. In fact, I still can't quite make up my mind whether Lucius is real or not. At some points in the book, he seems ethereal and otherworldly and appears or disappears like a spirit. Either way, Lucius is always conveniently around when he is needed, offering advice and hood platitudes that may or may not be helpful. Anyway, after an unfortunate event where the narrator misses an opportunity to address a racist act, Lucius confiscates his black card and his the return of the card is contingent upon him doing more black things um, as opposed to playing in a punk band and skateboarding. Okay. Um, throughout the book, there is a constant conversation between the narrator and Lucius and even in the narrator's own head about what it means to be black. This book brings up a lot of questions about the definition of black and how it changes over and over again and how it changes from person to person. I really do think you'd enjoy this one. So there you have it. My favorite books from 2019. Well, we're a few days into 2020 now, and personally, 2019 was a year of loss and learning for me, like I said before. Thankfully, I learned more than I lost, and I learned to trust my own powers of discernment. I found that when I started doing that, everything around me confirmed what I was thinking, and I mean everything, y'all. Songs on the radio, sermons, billboards, crows that weirdly spoke English. 2019 also showed me how important it is to spend time with the people I love, but in like the worst way possible. <laughs> I mean, terrible. Anyway, so goodbye 2019. You were good and terrible. And maybe you tried too hard to be cool and you kind of let yourself go near the end. And you clearly chose your favorites and told the rest of us to go to hell. But I also want to take a minute to acknowledge those who became part of my ancestral entourage in 2019. Rest in peace to Uncle Pete Robinson, to Crystal Johnson, and to Quincy Skaggs. And a special shout out to all of my friends who experienced loss yet continue to push on through every day, past all the funk that goes with grief and create beauty in the world. I love y'all and gain strength from watching you work. And shout out to my old job. <laughs> You were interesting. Uh, I mean, what I can say is that I learned so much in the short time that I was there. 
That's for sure. Anyway, 2020 is here. Still has that new year smell. And I have no expectations because it's a year, people. It doesn't do anything that we don't tell it to do. So I will continue my plans to bend 2020 and the entire world, for that matter, to my will and read all the things. Happy New Year, everybody.